Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to part two of our Black History Month podcast, focusing on Black health and wellness. My name is Jason Bird, and I'm an associate in Littler's New York City office. My name is Joe Bujama, and I'm associate in Littler's San Francisco office. And we are here with our special guest, Dr. Adia Gooden. So Dr. Adia Gooden, thank you so much for returning for part two with us. Our theme for this Black History Month is Black health and wellness. In part one, we discussed larger systemic issues surrounding Black health and wellness, particularly from your vantage point as an expert and Black professional in this field. In part two, we will discuss Black health and wellness at the interpersonal level. Specifically, we will be discussing the highs and lows we might encounter along our individual wellness journeys and techniques for navigating those issues in everyday life. So to kick us off really quickly, on a wellness journey, there are ups and downs, right? We think often about struggle and challenge and reaching a certain position or status, but a part of wellness is also important when we've achieved so much of what we set out to do. How do you advise Black people when they get to a place of achieving their hard-earned goals and realize that it takes more than just academic and professional success to be happy? Yeah, so this is something that I certainly have experienced and, you know, chasing goal after goal after goal. Okay, I got to do well in high school and then you got to get into the right college. And if you get into the right college, then that'll be it. But no, then you got to get into grad school. And then for me, I decided that I needed to finish my PhD in five years, which made me completely anxious. <laughs> and, you know, and then for me, it was getting to the point of actually finishing my PhD and realizing, oh, this isn't going to make me feel worthy and lovable and answer all of the problems, answer all of the challenges, make me totally happy. And I think often those of us are, who are on this sort of high achievement journey believe that it just one goal away. Okay, just get into the right law school and then get the right so summer associateship and then get the right, get into the right firm and then get right. And it's okay, then the ultimate goal is tenure. And then if you get not tenure, I'm sorry, partner. <laughs> and if you get partner, then you will be right. Like, and I think along the way, it's really easy to neglect ourselves and our health and well-being. And so I think it's really important at whatever point you sort of wake up and realize, huh, I need to take care of all of me to remember that you are not just an achiever. You are not just a worker. You are a full whole human being and all of you really needs to be attended to. You can still pursue the goals you have for your life, but you're, it actually isn't going to make you totally happy and content to do that while neglecting your relationships, while neglecting your health, while neglecting having to have any fun in life at all. And so I think it's when you realize, okay, I've, I've gotten to this really impressive point, mm -hmm. but I'm not totally happy and satisfied I think you can be sort of grateful that you're waking up to that and start being curious and exploring, well, what really would make me happy? And for some people, that'll be clear, right? It'll be like, oh, I just need to do more of this. I need more time off. I need more time with friends and family. But for some people, it may feel like I have spent the last 20 years of my life pursuing this dream. 
And I'm disconnected from what truly fills me up and nourishes me. And so I need to go and do some exploring around how I want to reconnect to myself and what brings joy in my life. I feel like you're hitting the nail like right on the head, Mm -hmm. especially just like a lot of times we misinterpret success with wellness. You know, if you can just get into that school, get that job, win that case, you'll be happier, you'll be seen, and then you can finally relax. But it never seems to end. And this seems to be the case even more so for Black professionals, considering that many are the first in their fields and they're representing their ancestors' wildest dreams of what making it can look like. Mm-hmm. So given that like reality, how do you define wellness and what are some ways that you think we can navigate being a high achiever and maintaining that true sense of wellness? Yeah. So, you know, I think of wellness as sort of doing well, feeling uh, healthy, feeling vibrant in all aspects of our lives. So mentally mentally and emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, all sort of categories of our life feeling like we're healthy, we are vibrant, things are going well, which doesn't have to mean that everything is perfect. Like you have a million dollars in the bank and (laughs) you never have a cold, right? But that in general, you feel good in your body. In general, you take care of your body. You don't neglect it to the point of breakdown because you haven't been sleeping and you haven't been eating and you haven't been doing and you haven't been moving it at all. But that generally you feel health in your body, that generally mentally and emotionally you're in tune with yourself, with your feelings and your thoughts, and you're aware of how you feel about certain things and you know how to navigate your emotions. So you're not just suppressing your feelings or you know, having an outburst or having a breakdown financially, right? You, you have your finances in order. You have a budget. You're not just spending like crazy, maybe in response to feelings that you're not processing or not allowing yourself to spend any money at all, right? Like you, you have a sense of like, okay, I have a, a, handle on my money, right? So in all these spiritually, you have some practices or connection to a religious tradition that feels right for you. And you tend to the part of you that's beyond the doer, that's beyond the, you know, get this task done, get that task done. And so I, I think of wellness very holistically. I think it's somewhat different to proactively pursue wellness It's different than how we often treat our health in a Western context, because usually in a Western context, you wait until you get sick. And then when Mm. you get sick, you go to the doctor and then the doctor prescribes a medication. And often that medication is not really treating the cause it's treating the symptoms. Mm. And you take that medication until, right. And that's a little different than saying, okay, what makes my body feel good? Not just what keeps me alive and keeps me standing so I can do one more memo, but what makes my (laughs) body feel good or what nourishes my spirit and my soul? Is it connecting with a loved one and having a deep conversation with a friend? Is it going dancing? Is it really thinking about sort of what gets you to a place where you not only are surviving, but you're thriving? So that's kind of how I think of wellness. I know that's not a good uh, definition that you put in a dictionary, but hopefully it, <laughs> it makes sense for folks. 
And then in terms of navigating being a high achiever and also maintaining wellness, I think it's really important to remember that you need to take care of you and to do it now, not wait until that next goal is achieved because that's usually what happens. Okay, well, when I'm done with my first year, you know, when I'm done with my first year associateship, then I could do it. Or when I do, right, it's always put off. But what we know, and I think particularly for Black people, especially in the context of what we're talking about in part one of the podcast, we have worse health outcomes. When we have to engage in the medical system, we are less likely to be listened to and less likely to be treated well. And so it is even more important for us to do everything that we can, take advantage of every resource we have access to, to keep ourselves well. But what we know is that if we run ourselves into the ground, if we're overwhelmed, if we're stressed, that usually is gonna show up physically. And so what we need to do is remember, you are not just a worker. That is not your identity. That is not all of who you are. It's part of who you are. You work, you are a lawyer, you do this, you do that, but it's not all of you. And you need to take care of the other parts of you, which means that you need to make time for sleep and you need to make time to eat nourishing food and you need to make time to connect with people in a way that is uplifting and you need to make time for yourself. And so often in our, you know, capitalist systems, and I think certainly in corporate law environments, you are expected to work nonstop. You have to calculate how many hours, how many minutes did you spend on this, right? Like, <laughs> right? like is it a billable hour? Like it's, it's very intense. And so how can you sort of step out of that and know, okay, this is a system I'm operating in. I've chosen to work in this system, but I still need to take care of myself. And what does that look like? Oh, yeah. Again, another just direct landing, you know, just so specific and so timely because, yeah, we live in the six minute world. And I was talking with someone who transitioned positions and and practices and she says, well, yeah, I don't have to go to bed and and think about, you know, did I build for that email? Right. So Mm kind of keeping along that theme. In addition to being the first, we're often a party of one or at best uh, a few black individuals in a room. In my experience, this has impacted my wellness journey because moving throughout society without ever meeting anyone quite like you, a person with some common understanding of the road you've traveled to reach your current destination is a little isolating. So what insight do you have for those navigating spaces as the only or part of a small handful of other black individuals in a room while still maintaining a wellness journey. And and for example, to you and and for our listeners out there, working through feelings of imposter syndrome or navigating old notions and urges like code switching, or as you mentioned in part one, working twice as hard to get half as far. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think the first is acknowledging that it's hard because I think so often we can sort of internalize this idea that we should be perfect, that it should be easy for us. And if it's not, or when it's hard, then we think something's wrong with me. But I think just even if you can offer yourself some kindness and compassion around like, this is tough. 
it's tough to be the only, it's tough to walk into this conference room and immediately feel like, okay, I got to sit up straighter, got to pay attention, got to, got to be on in a way that I wouldn't feel that way if I wasn't the only, right? And so Mm -hmm. to just acknowledge that, I think is the first thing. The second thing is look for people and places that have shared experiences. And that may not be at your firm, but it may be a Black Law Association. It may be a community of people who are experiencing something similar. So look for those spaces and organizations because finding other people who relate and who understand what you're going through, what you're navigating is going to be helpful because it is that reminder of like, okay, it's not just me. This is something that so many people experience and just having people to talk to about it is important. And you, you sort of mentioned, you know, some people may be the first in their family Mm -hmm. to become a lawyer, to become, you know, to get to this level. And sometimes people don't even feel understood in their family because their Mm. family's like, you have this big law job. Like, what's the problem? You should just Mm. be happy. And it's like, I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated. I don't necessarily feel appreciated, right? Like all of those things can come up. And sometimes family isn't even a space where you can be understood. And that can also feel really isolating and really challenging. So trying to find your people and putting a priority on that, like find, you know, at least one person that you can call and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this just happened. Or I need to process this. I'm trying to make sense of it. And those people can then be a support to you and encourage you and remind you that you're doing a good job, that you're okay, that yes, this is hard. So those are some of those things. In terms of the pieces of working through imposter syndrome, I think one of the biggest recommendations I have for that is remember that you are supposed to be there. Mm. Because so often imposter syndrome says, you're not supposed to be here. You don't deserve to be here. You're not good enough to be here. You're not smart enough to be here. For Black people, it can be, well, maybe you were just hired because of the diversity initiative. Mm-hmm. And some people might imply that. But I think it's really important to remember, you, you, it's not as though you didn't go to law school. Mm-hmm. or you didn't go to college. It's not as though you just like waltzed in there and they were like, Hey, a black person, we need more of those. Like, I don't know what your qualifications are, but sure. Right. Like none of that happened. You worked hard to get to where you are. And it's so important to acknowledge that it's so important to acknowledge all of the time, all of the effort, all of the energy that you have put to make your career what it is and to not dismiss that because that is why you are here. And to remember that you have something unique and important to offer to your team, to your practice group, to the firm, right? And to remember that and not feel like, I don't know why I'm here. You have something to offer. So those are things that I think is really important to own. And with code switching, you know, I think it's just important to remember that you're making a choice to code switch. And that may be what helps you navigate the environment the best, but that doesn't mean that your home way of communicating is bad or wrong, right? It just means that people in this space may not understand it. And so you're not switching code switching because you think, oh, the way my family talks or my community talks is bad or wrong. It's they may not understand it. And in order to navigate this environment effectively, I'm going to shift 
right into a way of communicating that will make it most likely that I'm heard. And that really connects with me, like on a bunch of different levels, particularly with respect to imposter syndrome. You know, like I love both the universities that I attended, you know, like with the passion, I'm the biggest advocate for both of them. But, you know, I am somebody who went from a school that was 85% students of color for undergrad to a law school that was a predominantly white institution. And I've definitely had people imply and suggest that I only got uh, some of the positions that I got because, Mm. you know, I was a diversity hire and all of the conversations that come in between with that. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely something that um, like I keep in mind. And so it's particularly personal issue for me. So thank you so much for sharing the insight and perspective. And I think that it's also just something to acknowledge that being black has been a big part of my identity, but being black is just part of one of many people's identities. Like when we're talking about underrepresented people, uh, I'm a black man, but there are all, you know, but there are black women, there's black people that are, they're black and disability abled, they're black and queer. There are a bunch of different identities and these days we're seeing a lot of talk about intersectionality across the different facets of American life. So what advice do you have for Black individuals seeking to ensure that they're mindful and loving of their uniqueness and self-worth as a whole person when society may have other opinions and expectations? You know, sometimes I like to think about this using a metaphor of like nature because we are navigating a society that sort of says in order to be worthy or lovable and to be considered attractive, you need to be like this model, right? Like everybody needs to look like this, act like this, talk like this. And there's sort of an implicit, like we should all be the same, right? And then you sort of see this stuff coming on social media where you're like, all these women look like they're trying to look exactly like that. Like it, it's sort of <laughs> weird, right? It's like, you know, but if you think about nature, no one, I hope, is going and saying like, oh my gosh, I mean, a daffodil, Ugh, everything should be a rose, right? Like <laughs> everything should be a lily. Like, why do we have all these different types of flowers and a different colors and a different, right? Like, <laughs> no, like it's actually, that's what makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm is the diversity, is the range, is the number of colors and shapes and sizes and all of that stuff. And yet as humans, we expect ourselves to fit into these narrow things and everyone should be the same. And so I think it's just so important to remember that actually what makes life rich, what makes the world better is having people from various identities and various experiences. And that's where you get unique perspectives. That's where you get unique ideas. That's where you get unique gifts and talents, right? If we want to go sort of a business route, there's research that teams that are diverse, and this is not just diverse in like we have one person like this and one person like that, but like actually diverse teams where they're really embracing the diversity do better. They're more profitable. They produce better. They produce better outcomes in research and in business. So we know from research standpoint that actually having a diverse team is going to make your team better. Having a team where everybody looks the same, everybody talks the same, everybody's from the same background, you're going to miss some things right? Mm -hmm. We also know that if you go to, I don't know, an event, I don't know, I guess we're not really going to parties, but like if you are out (laughs) in the world, Mm -hmm. 
And, and you're like, everybody's wearing this a uniform. It's like, Ugh. but if you go out in the world and you're like, oh my gosh, look at that outfit. Wow. Look at that. Look how they put that together. Right. That's what makes the world rich. So I think the challenge that we have is that because of the isms, because of the discrimination, it can feel unsafe to embrace our identities. That can feel vulnerable to embrace an identity that is not supported by society. But I often think that that's where our power is, that some of the things that we want to hide the most or that we sort of are saying like, oh, I'm too, I'm too much in this area. That's where our power is. And if we can embrace that, it's really incredible. So for me, I have always been loud and I've always been a talker. And when I was a kid, at one point I was in like eighth grade, I was kicked out of a kid's choir because basically I was too loud. And it was predominantly white choir and my like black girl voice was too bold and too loud and they didn't like it. And I was the only kid who was not invited back. And, and I, that sucked as a kid. But can you imagine if I was like, well, I'm just not using my voice. I'm silencing myself. I wouldn't be here. Mm. But instead, I embrace my powerful voice as a huge strength. And it's something that I can use to advocate for people, to help people, to support people in transforming their lives. And so that is what I tap into. I'm not trying to be like everyone else because that would be boring. I am trying to be like myself and use that as a gift to serve the world. And so I think the more people can do that, can tap into that, the more empowered they will feel. And yeah, some people may not like me or my voice and that's okay. That's their problem. I don't need to deal with it. And having that sort of attitude, I think is very helpful because then you're less worried about what everyone thinks and you're more in tune with who you are and how you want to show up in the world. Wow, Dr. Adia, thank you so much for that and, and encouraging us to show up and prioritize ourselves and believe in ourselves and embracing who we are. Along those same lines, things like food, community, and physical fitness are, of course, central to everyone and their wellness journey, especially those of us who are part of the Black experience, though. For example, stress relief for many of us looks like recreating old recipes from an elder, family reunions and cookouts, dancing with friends and family. On the other hand, we recognize there are stressors associated with ensuring we have the proper nutrition, feeling safe and welcome in our communities, or simply being too tired from existence as a Black person in America to bother with working out. What suggestions do you have for Black listeners who are interested in integrating their wellness with cultural traditions that are meaningful and uplifting to them? Yeah, I love the kind of discussion of sort of grounding in our culture. And I think there's so much wonderful, there's so many wonderful aspects of black culture. I mean, I love being black. I think there's so many reasons to love being black and food and culture and resilience and celebration are some of my favorite parts. And I think that sometimes those things can be sort of demonized or put down as like, why are you eating that food and all those types of things? I think what's important to remember is that, you know, the tradition of food in the Black community, things that are now easily accessible were often rare, right? They were like once a week or once a month, or if you could kill a chicken, then you fry it. And so the challenge that we have right now is that we have 
ample access to lots of foods that may not be nourishing. And we combine mm. that with, and I shouldn't say may not be nourishing, but that have more, you know, higher fat content, higher carb content, things like that. And then we also combine that with the fact that we are not growing and picking our food and we are often more sedentary. We're not most of us engage in physical labor that would then burn off the calories from this really big meal, right? And so I think just putting it in context, like the food is not bad. And when you consume it in a way that it was not meant to be consumed, and when you're living a lifestyle that really isn't very active, we sort of have this combination that can be problematic. And so I would encourage people to think about, great, like cook those recipes. Maybe you make some adjustments, right? Like maybe it's not lard, but it's olive oil. <laughs> maybe it's, you know what I mean? Those things. And then also what's the frequency? Maybe it isn't every week, but maybe it's once a month. Month, you gather a bunch of people and you have a big family dinner and you make these things and you break bread while talking and connecting, right? Which is very different than like going to Popeye's and then like eating fried chicken by yourself while you're watching TV. These things mm -hmm. are, those are different. And one is going to nourish you mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And one is probably not going to feel so nourishing, right? So I think being intentional about how you incorporate those things versus saying it's just bad and you shouldn't do it is going to be really helpful. I think the other thing is thinking about what are ways of moving? Like maybe it's dancing that feel good for you. Often when we talk about exercise, it's like you have to do this thing for 30 <laughs> minutes or you got to run five miles and you got to punish yourself. And like, you know, I don't like running. I also don't like the Peloton. There are other things that I do like, and I do those things, but we've sort of created this culture where it's like, you have to do these things, you know, and punish yourself, but find the things that feel good to you. If it's dancing, if it's putting on your favorite music and dancing around your living room, that could be a workout. And so incorporating something that feels good and feels nourishing and uplifting is I think the way to do it instead of feeling like I have to fit my self-care into these more white and Western frameworks. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Adia, for those tips. And I'm also not a big fan of, of uh, running and, and such, but I do like me some Popeyes, I have to admit. <laughs> so shout out to, to Popeyes, but, um, but, but no, in all seriousness, thank you so much for giving us this enlightened um, talk today and in part one and, and encouraging us to prioritize ourselves and our health and our wellness and believing in ourselves and, and not shying away from advocacy, not just because that's our job, but we have to advocate for ourselves. And so we don't need to shy away from that, especially when it comes to our wellness and well-being overall, as you said, so that we are able to physically be well to, to perform and, and meet the things we need to do in life. So thank you so, so very much for this. Any brief parting tips on where one can begin their wellness journey for this Black History Month and beyond or any resources you might recommend as we leave here today? 
You know, I think start with one thing or two things that you could do to take care of your body. So maybe that's getting a little bit of extra rest or sleep or, you know, adding more vegetables in like starting, or maybe it's connect, finding your people and connecting to people that, that really understand you. I think that's a good, that's a good place to start. I have a podcast called Unconditionally Worthy that I talk a lot about self-worth. I talk about sort of how you navigate the mental and emotional wellness piece. So that's something that people could check out. It's wherever podcasts are found. So those things might be a good place to start. Thank you so much, Dr. Dia. In addition to your podcast, are there any other ways people can learn more about you? Sure. So I have a website, which is dradiagoodin.com. D-R-A-D-I-A-G-O-O-D-E-N.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Adia Gooden. So I'd love to connect with people there. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Adia, for joining us. Thank you all um, to the listeners out there for tuning in. And happy Black History Month, everybody. 